Welcome to the Synaxis Podcast. A Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. It can also refer to an unveiling event. The Synaxis Podcast is a weekly gathering hosted by yours truly, Scott Jones, for the purpose of finding the life-giving healing word of the gospel and the words of the weekly lectionary passages. Join myself and a guest each week as we explore the lectionary text together. This is the place for gospel-rich, grace-saturated, and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest is the Reverend Kenneth Tanner. Kenneth is a pastor of Church of the Holy Redeemer in Rochester Hills, Michigan. He writes for numerous websites and magazines, including the Huffington Post and Sojourners. Ken, welcome back to the podcast, my friend. Synapsis, you know, it's like basically if you need to know or you're going to preach, um, you, you, it's a stop you need to make on the way to, to the weekend. I hope so. That's what we're, it's, it, it may be aspirational, but you know, hey, that's what we're looking for. Jeremiah 32 is our first text, 1 through 3a, and then 6 through 15, which, you know, is an interesting text because Jeremiah here, the word of the Lord comes to him. In the 10th year of King Zedekiah, which is like the late 6th century, 590s or something. And uh, the king of Babylon is, you know, besieging Jerusalem. And he wants them to kind of surrender and, and, and you know, you know, just basically Jeremiah sees that actually <laughs> Babylon might be God's instrument and, and let's not militarize. like, And they are going to do that, but then Egypt gets involved. And so plans change jeremiah winds up i think in prison but nice prison like corporate prison in zedekiah in zedekiah's court or whatever and then as he's in court as he's in this court prison uh while things are going pretty bad and there's sieges being laid like the, the you know the egyptians i think didn't promise to be as good as they thought you know as allies and, and things like that and his cousin comes and says i've got this field that's by right of redemption, you know, the purchase is yours. And the Lord says before that we'll have, this is a place where people will buy land and build vineyard, you know, plant vineyards and things like that. So then he, he does this, like he does all this due diligence, makes, make sure I pay market value for it. And he buys the land. <laughs> this is a fascinating text, which I think if you want to perplex your congregation, this is the text to preach, right? I mean, I didn't go to Bodlin and like get all the researchers and everything together, but I couldn't find any patristic commentator on this text. <laughs> um, so, and if the patristics don't comment on it, yeah, yeah, we're out. It, it's a, you know, it's it's interesting. It's this uh, real estate transaction that's being recorded in the middle of, uh, you know, the end of an era in the life of um, of Judah and. Um, but you know, I, I, and I can read it and understand, I think that God speaks and, um, he, and, and that, uh, there is a, a trust that is happening here that, um, he, he buys a piece of land knowing that, um, Judah, there's like potentially no future Judah. Um, and, uh, yet he invests. And I think there has to be some kind of trust or hope that beyond what appears to be the end, that uh, there would be a reason to continue to invest in something that, uh, you know, they're getting ready to go into exile. And and yet he invests here. So, yeah, I mean, and you think about like in chapter, what is it in chapter? I think it's back in like chapter 22 or something where Jeremiah 
<laughs> says that they should surrender. And, I, and you know, he is a prophet and everything. But if you think of, like, old movies like Red Dawn, or you think of a contemporary illustration of The Walking Dead or something, when whenever somebody sits... You have to do here. You have to put yourself in that in that space. Yeah, it's, you know, whenever somebody is, this, is the person that says, hey, look, this is not the fight to fight. Mm-hmm. They look like the traitor, the collaborator, the Chamberlain. Uh, and so, this is a hard word, you know. Yeah, because he's investing in land that's soon to be occupied. Right. Well, and also, before that, like, the reason he's in prison is because he said, the Babylonians are, are the superior force, like, like, yeah, and, and there right. we we should. So it looks like he's. It looks like he, he's investing in the future of Babylon. Babylon, not, right? And yet, yeah. and yet he's not. And that I mean, that's the which amazing, he can't be doing. Yeah, and that's what's amazing about this text. Uh, and 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 just like so, I was in the lectionary commentary from Erdman's Elizabeth Octemeyer of blessed memory. Now I think she has this great. Uh, a great like seven or eight page like entry on this passage, which does great historical work and background work and sets it in the context of the Bible and the book of Jeremiah. But her concluding paragraph is this. When it seems that we are at the end of our rope. Pardon. Go ahead. Start that over again. When it seems that we are at the end of our rope and desperate, even in our troubled life as individuals, we must remember that 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 purposeful plan of God for when we stand beside the grave of a loved one, and think that life is over. God has a plan, doesn't he? When we are fearful that evil in our society is overwhelming our world and our lives, God has a plan. When the strong seem to crush the weak and the tongues of the proud and mighty strut the earth, God has a plan. And when there seems to lie ahead of us nothing but a looming Golgotha, and we would rather do anything except obediently drink the cup given to us, God has a plan. It is a plan for good and for eternal life and for earth made fair again. And you see, nothing is too hard for the loving God of all flesh. And I, that's amazing. Like, I think all this absurd sort of land dealing, it's, it's sort of like, you know, I, I, I use this illustration probably too much in sermons, at least twice a year, three times a year. But like, you know, if you live in the Northeast of the United States, there's all these like signs, you know, like there's a couple in our town, like George Washington stayed here after the Battle of Trenton, or this is a continental, you know, uh, a burial ground or things like that. Or, you know, you go to Carlisle, Pennsylvania, the Continental Congress met here. And it's almost saying like even... You know, hundreds of years later, this is hallowed ground because our founding fathers were here. And it's it's certainly that's the message of the incarnation, right? Whatever, however down and out your story is, that the God of the covenant, the God of all flesh, the God who took flesh, took up residence here. And and Jeremiah buying property when the land seemed God forsaken is this witness to there's no God forsaken people or places or geographical spots are part of our own story that whatever you know sins we've committed or sins that have been committed against us in the miraculous scandalous grace of god uh god's always buying plots in those spots for i love that i think you're exactly right and i think trust is at the center that there is a future where god is already present and is going to sustain us i i gathered all the little ones um i you know it's incredible a Swedish autistic teenager um, who's been walking out of school to uh, bring attention to a climate uh, crisis um, had, you know, on Friday, these, you know, elementary skit, elementary school children, middle school children, high school children, um, you know, college students that were um, leaving classes to protest, uh, you know, and um, I gathered all of my little ones and redeemer yesterday. And cause one of the, my concerns, and I, I ended up with a, on an airplane with the climate scientist. It's a 
She's a filmmaker, and uh, she it made sounds a like a documentary. joke. So, an Anglican priest and a climate scientist filmmaker get on an airplane. <laughs> it, it's a really special story. I, I, I don't really, I don't know. We don't have a lot of time on Synaxis, but I, I walked up to the gate. Uh, you know, the, the the agent, and she at the front of the airport, and she said there. I was trying to find a better place to sleep, like a bulkhead seat or whatever. Nothing. So I'm walking to the. I walk to the gate, and I'm thinking. Like I, I hear this word, like ask again, ask again. And I'm like, why would I do that? And it's the same computers. And I did. The guy, I walked up and says, "Is there another seat?" And it spits out a first class ticket. The guy looks at me and says, "I've never seen this in my life." Here you go. And so I get on in first class. This woman, I want to travel with you, and sits down next to me, and she starts telling me stories. She's reading Eckhart Tolle, you know. And so we start talking. She sees that my collar on, and uh, she says, "You know, I missed a flight." And I'm trying to get to my mother, who's been like a set director for this autistic theater company on Montauk for like 30 years. And it's her final performance tonight. I had to get on this plane that's an all-night plane to make it to the performance. And I'm sitting there thinking, not an accident. So I'm I'm listening to her talk about, you know, climate and everything that's happened. And I'm interested in this young woman. And uh, But anyway, it it ended up being just a, a totally amazing story about what it means to be human right now. And one of the things she said is that they've made a mistake in the, in the climate it's climate science has made a mistake in the sense of pitting humanity against the planet yeah. or the planet against humanity. And that the, the actual studies are showing that the, the, the planet thrives because humans are on yeah. it and, and human activity. And so uh, we have to not just love the planet, but love humans. But anyway, one of the things that I think, I, I brought my children forward because I said, you you know, here as Christians, this is what I'm trying to get back to the Jeremiah passage. As Christians, we are hopeful about the future, even as we put on realistic glasses and look at what's going on. Our hearts looking at the future, looking at what's going to happen to the land, looking at what's happening in our world, looking at what's happening politically is never based on fear, but is based on hope. And I was like, I, I got right down at the level of these children, looked them right in the eye and said, you know, God has the world in the palm of his hand, you know, doesn't mean that we're not, we're here to take care of it, but he has, he's not going to abandon us. And as we do everything that he commands us, he's with us and we can be hopeful. We don't have to govern. We don't have to be like worried that, you know, or, or fearful. We can be yeah. hopeful because of God. So anyway, yeah, that, that can, was a we, long we story, kind hope. of a, kind of a, a non-synaxis, um, uh, vignette or uh, somebody's going to use that in their sermon this week. But anyway, and I could talk about that meeting I had with that young one forever. It was beautiful. On to First Timothy six six through nineteen. We're winding down the lectionary portion of First Timothy, yeah. and here he Paul tells us there's great gain in godliness combined with contentment. It's interesting because you know you don't bring anything into the world, you don't take anything out of it, and that sort of uh, le- you know launches into uh, warnings about money and desire to possess. Uh, Things and security, and then he he encourages the people of God to fight the good fight of the faith and take hold of eternal life to which you're called. And and, and there's this very you know it's this uh, encouragement to like it seems like to major on the majors, uh, 
and to you know take hold of uh, i love it. it it says it talks about god uh or christ who is god is it's he alone who has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light I love that. Wonderful passage. Yeah. And you know what, what's interesting about it is that this is, this is kind of language that's used of, of, of the father, you know? Yeah. And, and so, you know, it really gets to that Johannine idea, you know, Paul and Paul and John are not at odds. Um, you know, he, he definitely sees that the father and the son, we've seen the son, we've seen the father. Schleiermacher says that there's two ontological statements in scripture. Mm. about god in the new testament god is love and god is light like, like beyond yeah. metaphor they're yeah. just god yeah. is love you know like mm-hmm. these are seem to be ontological statements no being doubt. of god is love and light yeah. so that all things um you know uh that we would posit about god justice uh, mercy um uh, faithfulness um uh, ju- you know judgment are all facets of light and life you know and so we, we also have to read in, in, in light of that. But I, I see the contrast in this passage between sort of, you know, the temporal and the eternal, and that there is an invisible wealth, and that there's an invisible foundation, and that there is a, an invisible posterity, um, invisible po- uh, uh, inheritance that we can, we can spend our lives investing in. I think this gets back to the Jeremiah passages. You know, it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't, on paper, it doesn't look like a good investment, but God is saying to us here through his servant that, you know, start, start living your life, investing in what you can't see, knowing that eventually that's the only thing that will be seen. All, all of this other um, stuff, um, building uh, kingdoms uh, is going to pass away. You know, those, those kingdoms don't last. Those buildings in New York don't last. Um, just like, you know, we, we look at uh, Rome, you know, um, everything, everything in this world as it's currently constituted falls apart. Um, but there's godliness combined with contentment. I think contentment is a, is a very rarely realized, um, state of being in our contemporary world. Um, it's different from, uh, happiness, which is, uh, again, short-lived and temporal um it's just a it's i don't i hate to get back to this conversation i was having this young woman on the plane but she was asked she at six years old her father she you know the mother split and and we were talking about the showtime series the um the affair and it really great I mean, show great show right and she was asking she's really into it because she's trying to understand her father and she says to me what causes him to be unfaithful and i i i i think it is this lack of he doesn't know who he is and he doesn't know why he's there and so he goes looking for the eternal you know love and light in the wrong place and he doesn't realize the damage he's doing to all the relationships in his life. And um, I think that's kind of what Timothy's getting at here with, with godliness is if we know who we are um, and, and what we were made for and why we're here, we'll, we end up taking care of the relationships in our life. We end up taking care of the earth. We end up taking care of the things that matter. Um, those are the eternal things, uh, you know, the, the relationships and the, um, uh, so anyway, um, I, I do think contentment is something that all of us um, need to, you know, uh, seek 
in God and get to a place where, um, and I think contemplation, stillness, meditation on the person of Jesus, which is exactly what Paul goes to here, talking about who he is and how he rules and how he's light and how he's, um, you know, a just king and so forth and so on. Yeah, it's interesting, too. That he says, fight the good fight of faith, take hold of eternal life, to which you were called, for which you made the good confession, in the presence of many witnesses. And then he says, in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. Keep that commitment. Like, it's interesting. It's the commandment here, like, to seek life. You know, to to be, you know, it, what is that Ar- quote from Irenaeus? The glory of God is man fully alive. Fully alive, yeah. Yeah, right. And so it's like, take hold of that life that Christ bore. You know, he says, I am the truth. You know, the, the way, the truth, the life. I mean, that's a beautiful. That was his testimony before Pilate. Right. Yeah. yeah. What, you know, yeah. Excellent. I mean, beautiful passage. And, and, and I, and I think, um, you know, what, what human does Irenaeus have in mind when he says that? Right. I think a lot of people pick that up as like, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, it becomes when it's divorced from the human pilot is the one who, after he makes a testimony says, I am the man, behold the human, Yeah, behold the human. Yeah. And so it is that life that gives glory to God. Yeah. And, and it's our gracious participation in that life, which is a life of self-sacrifice for the life of the world, for eternal things that will bring us contentment. Here's a little song I wrote. You might want to sing it note for note. Don't worry. Be happy. In every life we have some trouble. When you worry, you make it double. On to the gospel reading, we have the rich man and Lazarus. Fascinating story. It's the only parable where a character in the parable is named. And, you know, this this guy at the gate, this poor guy named Lazarus, whose name means God help me, or, you know, mm-hmm. God... God, God is my, my help. God is my help. He's covered with sores, and he's, you know, in... Pretty pathetic. A destitute space and place, and he dies, and the rich man dies, and they wind up in different places of this post-mortem realm, which is sort of, uh, you know, in, in Jewish thinking at the time, it, this is not necessarily we think of eternal heaven and hell, but it's the, it is something like the realm of the dead, and, and, and there developed this idea that there were separations there. And they have this post-mortem conversation, which is incredibly intriguing. Yeah, Jesus is telling a story based on the worldview of his audience um, about what all this looks like. But I can tell you, I mean, I you know, Nyssa, Tertullian, um, Augustine, everybody... Everybody that I was looking at was not, I mean, I think they take the story more or less as a description of what things look like. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I'm hoping you'll help us out with Capon here at some point with this, but, uh, <laughs> but, but um, cause he's got actually has some great things to say about this particular parable. Um, but it's been too long since I read it, but the, um, what I think is striking about it. And I, I think this is striking about scripture in general, right? Um, and, you know, it says, you know, he says, um, you had Abraham for your father and, you know, um, 
you're not listening to Moses and the prophets. You won't listen, even if someone arises from the dead. Well, the and Jesus goes, is going to Jerusalem at this point when he tells the Yeah, story. yeah. And he's the one, he's the one who is the interpretation of Moses and the prophets. So, you know, even if he's on the scene and he's dying for the life of the world, um, you know, you're not going to hear him. And, and, and that's what's happening. They, they don't recognize him. They don't see him. They're not hearing him. Uh, the, the embodiment of Moses and the prophets is among them and they don't get it. And, um, but man, what is this? I mean, God, what is with God and wealth? He is really, really serious. Um, I, I, and a lot of times I think it's, I mean, it's very clear that it's not necessarily the, the dollars themselves or the capacity, uh, and the, the resources, but it, man, you better freaking take care of my poor and you better freaking, you know, yeah, um, it's almost like, care. It, it's almost like either with, with money or wealth, like either you have money or money has you, right? Yeah. And and I think it goes back to a more primal kind of anthropological reality. You think about, it, it's interesting that in the Greek, it's the same way, I think, too. Like it says, you know, child, Abraham says to the rich man, interesting, child, remember that during your lifetime, you received your good things and Lazarus in like manner, evil things. So it's interesting. Lazarus received evil things. They weren't his evil things. They're just evil things. Yeah. But right. the rich man receives your good things, right? So either yeah. I think about like in the Tower of Babel story, it says, you know, let's make a tower to heaven that we might make a name for ourselves. Mm. And it, it's either, it, you know, Peter yeah. Lager has that great book called A House for My Name. I think it's from Jeremiah, right? God's making a house for his name. So you either receive your name, and if you receive your name, God is my help, or you try to take your name, right? And with And you make an idol out of the created reality. And whatever your idol, sex, money, drugs, rock and roll, preaching, religion, you know, fame, whatever, that that name, it's your name, but it possesses you. Like, you know, the, you, the, but the goal <laughs> is, like, to be possessed by God, to become God's possession, you know, not to be, the, be, to become the creator's possession, not to be, to possess the creation. And so here I think you have this brilliant theological anthropology that says, hey, there's really two ways to live. You either... Huh. You you either live uh, a theology of the cross or a theology of glory, and um, you know there there seems to be a pretty serious warning. Like I mean, he's going to go after the sheep. He's going to go after the coin. Um, he's good. He's he's going to run out to the son who comes back and has squandered his inheritance and so forth. And and he's even you know talking about how you know uh, you know and Capon thinks that the shrewd you know. Um, Stewart is the one who's, you know, is Christ himself who's making all these deals and stuff. Like There's all kinds of mercy, 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 mercy that's happening. And, you know, before we get here and here, it's almost like I think it's what it's saying is like, like there's one place you can be in that's really, really hard for God to get to you. And that is self-reliance and money. Yeah. And it, it's a severe warning that, um, it, you know, it, being wealthy and and being self-reliant on that and trusting in your wealth and at the same time, not using all of it to take care of those around you who don't have it is a, is a place that's really hard for God to get to. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's because, you know, the thing that makes all of us, uh, that damns all of us is self-justification rather than God being our justification and our righteousness. And, it's easy to do if you have a lot of personal power and with money comes a lot of personal power. It's not the only way you can do it, but it certainly makes it a lot easier. 
Well, and I think that's what I think more than like trying to tell us what hell's like or what heaven's like or whatever. It's it's really, you know, that there's, you know, this impossible chasm between um, all of this. This It's just like a like really, really wake up. And, yeah, I think of Second Corinthians. I mean, at the heart of this, I think like you either <coughs> you either embrace the one who was rich but became poor for your sake, or you reject him and try to be rich on your own and wind up ultimately in the state of true emptiness. I mean, like that's, you know, it, it, it's embracing the one who with power became weak and poor. And it's that, eminently that, that spiritual wealth really comes. It's eminently practical because this guy's talking, he's talking about an insanely wealthy person, but we all have people that come into our lives that have less than we do. And we have opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to recognize them, to see them, um, not to dehumanize them, but to see, see their, see them and to see their plight and to, to, to bring a little bit of, you know, even if it's a drink of water or a meal or, um, you know, it, it, we have so many opportunities and it's part of, um, you know, we're the ones with the hands and the feet and the eyes and the ears um, and the ones who can be God's instruments in their life. And uh, so it's I mean, I you know, I think it's really important that we pay attention to what's going on in our life. Yeah. And blessings to our listeners. And may Amen. we all see um, the one and hear the one who became poor for our sakes that we might have his riches on Sunday. And if you are a preacher young or old, male, female, just getting started out. I've uh, been preaching for a long time and this show means something to you. You've got pastors and friends um, in your life. Uh, young people that are learning how to preach, um, that are called to preach. Tell them about the show. I mean, oh, I, thanks. Know, that's incredibly there's, kind. There's not, there's nothing like it out there. And uh, thanks my friend. Bless you. Appreciate you being on it. Thank you. Much for you. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Synaxis Podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review, and subscribe, or pass it along to a friend via email, or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks again for being on the podcast, and thank you again for listening. And until next time, friends, fare thee well.